Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hello, podcast listeners. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Happy to be with you. Why did you chuckle? I don't know. What was so funny about what I just said? Hey, everybody. You sounded a little tired or something. <laughs> I just wanted you to wake up. Hey, everybody. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Speaking of tiredness, so sometimes sleep is hard to find. For me. For you in a particular way. For me, too. I think it's like 49-year-old woman hormones affecting me. Right. Um, but... Anyway, I think for you, you do a lot of work that is kind of gets your brain really going, and it's hard to this quiet it down and sleep. Um, there's and, an adrenaline high. Yeah, exactly. And then, then there's the crash from the <laughs> adrenaline. But it, I have to, I have to ride the wave. I've learned. So sometimes when you can't sleep, and you know you can't sleep, but you want your brain to rest and not like work on something right. you will watch documentaries which is a neat thing yeah i love documentaries i, yeah. don't, I, I don't know when i first kind of got hooked on them yeah maybe 10 years ago i started with the dawn of netflix where yeah, you have yeah. easy access to right things yeah and i feel like we've talked about that before sometime on a podcast but you know s since then i'm curious like if you've seen any great documentaries recently uh, I'm, the one I'm interesting. just finished, it's not like it's some great documentary, but it was pertinent to my childhood. It was a four-part documentary on Netflix on Three Mile Island. And if you were alive in the 70s, late 70s, just hearing that those three words, Three Mile Island, will take you right back to all the news stories. I lived growing up maybe, I'm trying to think, 20 miles from Three Mile Island, 20 mm. or 30. I don't know, about the 20 or 30 miles from Three Mile Island. And it was a big news story. I was in third grade. For those who don't know, it was a big news story that, oh, you're about to say yeah, what it was. was. Okay, say. okay. Uh, Three Mile Island is a nuclear power plant near Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Mm. And there was a meltdown in March of 1979. And I didn't know what the heck a meltdown was then. I still don't really know what it is. But I remember we got sent home early from school, and that was fun. And I remember some kids in the neighborhood were not allowed to go outside. And I was like, Mom, what's going to – is there some reason I can't go outside? She said, well, they're saying there's this radiation in the air. Anyway, watching this documentary, I had no idea how close we were to major, major catastrophe. Like a half an hour – we were a half an hour away if they had not controlled it from much of the East Coast being uninhabitable. Wow. Like Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., Baltimore, New mm. York City, mm. uninhabitable. Oh, my goodness. I had no idea that it was that big of a deal. And it just, yeah, like, wow, what, what divine workings may have been helping in averting such a yeah. tremendous disaster. I, I, yeah, and then you wonder about, other nuclear disasters and why were they not averted and yeah, just the mystery of man's trying to control nature to get energy and the disasters that can happen and the greed that was involved and the corruption and lying and covering up and 
the courageous whistleblowers who who this was years later as the cleanup was going on as as the story was coming out anyway if you're into that kind of documentary thing it might be worth checking out it was of interest to me primarily because i had grown up you know near here and it was a big deal but i had no yeah. idea that i could have been yeah and millions of other people could have been wiped out and i just want to say if any of you work in the making of documentaries i want to thank you because you bless my husband yes, a lot you do <laughs> thank you, you do. <laughs> it's really a good thing <laughs> Do you have any announcements about things going on with the TUB Institute? We have an exciting course coming up, which I've mentioned in some recent episodes called Theology of the Body and the Interior Life. Father Timothy Gallagher will be the main teacher of that. He's one of the world-renowned experts on Ignatian spirituality and the interior life. I will be giving a few of the presentations throughout the week as well, just to link up uh, Father Gallagher's teaching with more specifically with John Paul II's teaching and how they go together. Uh, Jen Settle and Father Ryan Mann, I think, are also going to be giving some presentations. So it's a tag team approach on this course. And yeah, it's it's really rich, rich stuff. I was first exposed to Ignatian spirituality and the discernment of spirits uh, maybe 12 years ago. And it just, it took my interior journey to a whole new level of understanding it's like when somebody gives you words for things that you you've tried to understand but you didn't have the vocabulary for that's i think one of the great gifts of saint ignatius and it's really fun for us at the institute to demonstrate how john paul ii's teaching shines such a bright light on all these different um, contributions of different saints over the centuries we love doing that mm -hmm. so check it out in the in the show notes the link for that course and check out our other online offerings. We're always offering an online course at, uh, I don't, I haven't looked at it recently, so I don't know which ones we're offering in November or December, but we're always offering an online course as well. And I can't not mention, Wendy, why don't you talk about your excitement about what we're doing <laughs> next year? Yes. So I have not yet been a participant in any of the Theology of the Body Institute pilgrimages up to this point but now i am a pilgrim signed up folks for france in october of 2023 which is focused on jump uh, theology of the body and saint therese of lisieux and her little way and we're visiting sites relevant to her life which is very exciting to me and i'm looking forward to that and i look forward to meeting those who discern and decide to come on that pilgrimage with us. Yeah, it's going to be fun to be on a river cruise. We're going to have the whole boat to ourselves and we'll have all our meals on the boat. I think most, of, if not all, most of the meals on the boat. And we'll have some fun evenings to hang out and talk about the events of the day and maybe some live music. Uh, yeah, it's going to be great. Mm -hmm. So if you want to come, check out that link to learn more. Yeah. And now our first question from a patron named Jacqueline. Hello, Jacqueline. Thank you so much for your ongoing support of our ministry, Jacqueline. We cannot do it without people like you who believe in what we're doing and support us financially. Thank you so much. I'm a young Catholic woman who just completed a five-month through hike of the Appalachian Trail. Wow! Which I know you're familiar with because Christopher's dad hiked it a few years ago. 
I have enough stories of trials and blessings for a thousand books to share how this experience has changed the way I view the sacramental quality of the natural world, my friendship with and faith in God, and my understanding of the difficult weakness and the incredible strength that is my body. Mm, Awesome. I would love to share some of my experiences, but I want to make sure I'm rooted in church teaching on these matters, and I would love to know how other Catholics have been moved by natural experiences. I know Pope John Paul II was a great outdoorsman. Do you have any suggestions from his writings that might speak into his own reflections on the outdoors? Christopher, I remember you talking about your own hiking and camping experiences. What reflections and recognitions have you had in your time in nature on the sacramental view of nature and theology of the body? Jacqueline, love, love, love your question. Love that you had the courage to do a through hike of the Appalachian Trail. For those who don't know, it's a 2,200-mile hike from Georgia to Maine, uh, or from Maine to Georgia. Some head north, some head south. I think those who head south have it easier because the whole thing's downhill. (laughs) Har, hardy, hardy, har, har. Uh, my father, yes, uh, as Jacqueline mentioned, my father through hiked the Appalachian Trail at the age of 75 in 2016. That year, he was the oldest person to complete it. And he's in, I think, I think he's in the top, I think when he did it, he was in the top five oldest people who had ever done it. And I think right now he's in the top 10 of oldest people who have ever done it. And it was life-changing for my dad in in ways that Jacqueline was explaining. And we'll put a link in the show notes here to, uh, gosh, an almost two-hour conversation I had with my dad on YouTube, on our YouTube channel, about hiking the trail, uh, if anybody's interested in that. And we, my dad and I get, get pretty deep into how creation becomes sacramental. And this is what Jacqueline's question is getting at. How is it that getting out into the outdoors can contribute to our interior life? And she also asked about some of the writings of John Paul II here. I can't remember if this was a a letter he wrote, one of his letters, or if it was a homily he gave at a World Youth Day or something. I can't remember the source. Forgive me, Jacqueline, but I do remember these words of John Paul II because they come to me often when I'm wanting to get out into, out into nature, but I'm, I'm also kind of pulled by my work or I'm resisting the, the rigmarole that you have to get through, go through to get ready for a backpacking trip, uh, I'll often hear these words ringing in my ears from John Paul II. Make the effort required. Make it. Make the effort required to get out in God's creation. And it's a, it's a recognition that it's hard. It's hard to get away from our busy lives, and it takes effort. But JP2 is just saying, do it. You will not regret it. There are so many life lessons in God's creation. There are so many lessons of the interior life in God's creation. To me, a backpacking trip is a sacrament of the interior journey. You, you of course, on a backpacking trip, you're going somewhere. You have a destination to get to, and you have to put one foot in front of the other. And there are trials. There are sacrifices. There are, oh my gosh, I just don't, what am I doing out here? I can't, I can't even keep going. But climbing a mountain, for example, 
on the way up, there are those trials, those sacrifices, those difficulties. But when you get to the top and you see what you see from the top and you have the sense of accomplishment, it's not the same as if you were able to take a, a, a tram car up a mountain or something. I mean, you'll still get a beautiful view. But to have that beautiful view when your own feet took you there is something altogether different. And, and there are immediate parallels with the interior journey. You're going somewhere. You have a destination to get to. And there are times in the interior journey where you're like, I don't know if I can keep going. Mm. But then there are also times when you get to a, a, a clearing, so to speak, and, and a, a nice rest spot or a, a waterfall or a place to drink or sometimes on a backpacking trip, there'll be a certain tree that has fallen next to a trail with branches that give you a perfect armrest and a perfect leg rest and a perfect place just to rest for a bit. And those are heavenly moments. Mm. And there are times in a backpacking trip when, you know, if you're going in the summer, as I sometimes do, I like to go all seasons, but in the summer, you're hot, you're sweaty, and you come upon a beautiful waterfall with a little swimming hole, and you're out in the middle of nowhere, nobody's there, and you can strip down to your birthday suit and jump in that cool stream and it is so refreshing there are parallels i just the countless parallels with the interior journey i have those times in my interior journey where it feels like i'm so hot and sweaty and i want to give up and then there's this beautiful oasis you get to and you can be naked before the lord and and jump in his glory and swim in it and and feel his closeness and feel wrapped by God's creation. I remember another time on a backpacking trip where I was walking through this beautiful pine forest and, and I could hear a stream in the distance and I, I, I had a new goal like, okay, I'm going to get to that stream and then we'll take a rest and hopefully there's a swimming hole there and I can jump in and cool off. But the trail itself through these pine woods, the sense of destination, the sense of going somewhere and the sense of being embraced by nature, I had this sense that this, this creek that I was headed to, you know, there's this, this psalm, um, there is a, a stream, a, a runlet, uh, a, a small river or something, it says that runs through the city of God. And I heard that, that stream in the distance, and it, and it says in the psalm that the stream gives joy to the city of God. Well, the city of God in Scripture is a symbol that is fulfilled in Mary. Why? City of God. It's where God lives. It's where God dwells. Well, Mary is the dwelling place of God through the incarnation. And there's this river of joy that flows through, through Mary. Uh, you think of the, the waters of the womb, right? And I was thinking of that psalm as I'm walking to the stream through this pine forest, and all of a sudden, it was as if creation started singing to me of Mary. Sing of Mary, pure and lowly. The, you know, all of creation, the smell of the pine, the path through the woods, the, the, the crunch of the leaves under my feet, and the, the, the whole of being in nature, I realized, and this is just a theological, theological truth, um, that all of creation's beauty is summed up in Mary. Mm -hmm. She is the crown of creation. Uh, saint after saint speaks of this. Uh, the great mystics speak of this, how 
when you are beholding a beautiful sunrise, that beauty is fulfilled in Mary. When you encounter a beautiful waterfall, that beauty is fulfilled in Mary. When I was walking through that trail and, and hearing that sound of the creek ahead, I was realizing that that mystically speaking, this is a this is a a visceral experience in creation of walking into the mystery that is Mary. I don't know how else to say it. All of creation was hugging me as if I was in the womb. Uh, and, and that has stayed with me for years. That was probably six or seven years ago. And creation itself, Wendy, you were telling me as we were walking out to my office to record this podcast, you're telling me about this experience you had this morning of of the light on uh, coming through the trees in our backyard and how it was shining on spider webs and mm -hmm. how it was singing to you. Maybe you could speak into that a little bit. Yeah, I, I know. Yeah. Just, I just caught the morning light at the perfect moment today and uh, the house felt all shut up and I, I opened the door to go outside. It was warmer than it has been for the past few days. And I just, was delighting in seeing the gift of the sunlight just making things glisten and glow all around in the, the morning dew. It was really, really beautiful. And dew itself is a symbol of heavenly fertility. Um, just do a, do a search, do a Google search for dew in the scriptures or the meaning of dew in the scriptures. Look up the different verses, uh, but dew is always a symbol of life-givingness coming from heaven. What does the priest pray in the Mass? Let the Holy Spirit come upon these gifts like the dew fall. All of creation is singing, right? Maria was right. The hills are alive. <laughs> the hills are alive. With what? With the sound of music. All of creation is singing. We need to ask the Lord to unplug our ears. We have to let him stick his fingers in our ears and groan, as he did in Scripture with that deaf man, be opened, be opened, ephatha, be opened. Pope Benedict XVI says that cry, that groaning prayer of Jesus' heart, be opened, takes us to the very heart of his mission, which is that the bride would be opened. Opened to what? open to his love, open to his gift, open to his truth, open to his beauty, open to the message that all of creation is singing. Mm -hmm. All of creation is singing a love song. Think about it. What, what are the, ch the crickets chirping about? It's a mating call. What are the frogs croaking about? It's a mating call. What are the lightning bugs lighting up about? It's a mating call. All that is beautiful in creation serves the purpose of life, serves the purpose of union, serves the purpose of, of nourishment. I mean, what is food? It's Food is the fruit of the earth, the work of human hands, the fruit of the earth, right? And what do we do in the Mass? We take the fruit of the earth, the work of human hands, we put it on an altar, and grace perfects nature. And the fruit of nature's nuptials, right? That's what bread is. That's what wine is. The fruit of nature's nuptials becomes the fruit of Mary's womb. All of creation, all of creation points to Mary, and Mary opens to Christ, to the Creator opening His creation. 
I had the sense back on that hike when, when all of creation was singing to me of Mary, I had the sense like I, I, I zoomed out from planet Earth and I was like, you know, I don't know, hundreds of miles up in space looking back at planet Earth. And I had this sense of, of this meteor like coming from eternity and landing in this one spot in Nazareth where Mary, as the representative of all of creation, gave her yes, and creation was opened to the Creator, and the Creator entered into the realm of His creation. When, when Mary said yes, and Christ was incarnate in her womb, it's not only that Mary's womb was impregnated with the divine life, but by extension, all of creation was mysteriously now shot through with the presence of the Creator. Uh, the Logos, the Word, the logic of God has now entered His creation. Uh, this means uh, uh, encountering a, a leaf, a beautiful leaf, a, a beautiful flower, a beautiful tree, a beautiful mountain, a beautiful field, a beautiful stream, really and truly at the bottom of everything we find attractive and beautiful in creation is the logic of the Creator. And it's written into creation to, to reveal the glory of the Creator. Uh, I, I, just one more thought, that the, the Catechism says the first book that God has given us is not the Bible. The first book that reveals who God is is the book of nature. So get out in it. Make the effort, as JP2 says, make the effort, take the effort to get out in God's creation. We are not meant to be uh, shut up in concrete and glass, as Pope Francis says in Laudato Si. Uh, get out there. Uh, and I'd, I'd recommend read Pope Francis's document, Laudato Si. It kind of got this reputation as some kind of um, wacky, environmentalist document. It was not that at all. It was a beautiful Christian reflection on the meaning of creation as the first book that God has given us to reveal to us who he is. Mm. Thinking too of Bill Dunahy's podcast that's on oh, our, yeah. is that on Theology of the Body YouTube channel or where yes, do they it find will, it? It's going to be airing, uh, it may have all, by the time this episode airs, I mm -hmm. think it will all have already debuted. So please check out Bill Dunahy and Father Patrick Schultz, a dear friend of the Institute, they're launching a new podcast on YouTube called Way of Wonder, and it's a great acronym, right? Wow, right? Mm. Way of Wonder. And it's, it's diving into all that we're talking about here, the sacramental treasures of creation. Our next question is from a listener named Nikki. Hello, Nikki. I so desperately need clarity. I'm engaged to a good man, but he struggles with lust and at times seems glued to his phone. He's not looking at porn, but what about men that lust after women in the world? A quick glance on Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, and my fiance's turned on. Sometimes he clicks on more and more. Please help me understand because I feel so ugly and not enough Mercy. when this happens. Mercy. Bless you, Nikki. Bless you, Nikki. Bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. These are deep 
deep places of your heart that you're exposing here, and I just want to honor that first and foremost. Um, that desire to be beautiful, to be seen as beautiful, is so deep in a woman's heart. And when a man is, well, let me just start from the man's desire. If I might put it this way, if the woman's desire is to be seen as beautiful, the man's desire is to see beauty, to see the beauty of, of woman. It's, it's an ache, it's a cry of the masculine heart to behold the beautiful in, in the feminine that I, I couldn't, can't even put words to. It is a, a deep, aching cry of the masculine heart. And so there's a, there is, in God's design, a beautiful complementarity there. Uh, and in the beginning, before sin got into the picture and distorted all of these things, that cry of the man's heart to behold feminine beauty and the cry of the woman's heart to be seen as beautiful, that was lived harmoniously in the garden. Right? And there is this, as JP2 says, there is an echo in our hearts of the beginning. We still desire that. We still long for that. But we, we also have to deal with the inheritance of original sin, which has frustrated and confused and brought great suffering into these desires that we have, both on the man's side and on the woman's side. And there's always an enemy here who wants to take what is true, good, and beautiful in the human heart and deceive, take us in dire directions of false fulfillment. Yeah. And your fiancé is deceived here. He's deceived into thinking that these images on his phone are going to satisfy that, that hunger. Uh, and, and I know that territory. I know what that's like. I know what it's like to have that pull, come here, bring your hunger here, this will satisfy this. And it does. Why do we go in, in counterfeit directions? Because the counterfeit supplies some semblance of the satisfaction we're looking for. If it didn't, we wouldn't go there. So there's, even in what is twisted up in your fiancé, there is something good that can be affirmed. His desire to behold beauty in woman is a good desire, but he's taking it in, in a wrong direction, and it's causing you suffering in your desire to be seen. You rightly, as his future wife, are desiring that he would see you this way. But let me also warn you here, and Wendy, you can speak into this. We know this territory very well. We've, we've wounded one another here uh, in painful ways. We've had to to work through this over 27 years of married life and expose our own uh, desires, misdirected desires, painful experiences. We've had to put all this in the light, and it's not been easy. It's been hurtful. It's been painful. It's been difficult. Uh, but I want, to, I want to affirm, Nikki, that your desire to be seen by your husband is a good desire. Your desire for him to, to direct, your desire for him to direct his desire toward you is good, but also it can come from a misguided place in your heart in expecting that you could be or even should be the ultimate fulfillment of his desire to behold beauty, right? 
ultimately, the relationship of man and woman is only a sign that points us to a greater reality. And that greater reality is union with capital T, truth, capital G, goodness, capital B, beauty, and that's God. The ache, the cry in our heart for love, for union, for beauty, for goodness, for truth, ultimately can only be fulfilled in God. And that cry of the heart has a name. It's called eros. Eros is the desire in the heart for the true, the good, and the beautiful. And ultimately, that's for, as I said, for capital T, capital G, capital B, truth, goodness, Hmm. beauty. And for you to expect that you could be or should be your future husband's ultimate fulfillment is to want to be God in his life. What you can be and are meant to be is a sacrament that leads him to God in his life. Mm-hmm. Your prayers, this pain that he's causing you, which is very real because you sense what's twisted up and mixed up in his heart, and you sense he's taking it in, in a disordered direction, and, and that's a pain in your heart, a, a legitimate pain. That pain, Nikki, opened up to the Holy Spirit can be transformed into compassion. And here I'm quoting the Catechism 2843. It's one of my go-to passages. Anybody familiar with our podcast knows this passage because I've referenced it many times in our nearly 200 episodes, I'm sure. 2843, if we open our pain that others have caused us to the Holy Spirit, The Holy Spirit transforms that pain into compassion. The Holy Spirit will shine a light on why your husband is doing what he, or your future husband, is doing what he's doing. And you will start to feel the pain that he is trying to medicate. And that pain that you feel can become compassion for him. The the Catechism goes on to say that the, the memory of that pain can be transformed, the hurt gets transformed into intercession. Your pain can become a very powerful powerful prayer for your husband's conversion of heart. And he is in need of a conversion of heart here. This is territory that Wendy and I know very well because I came into marriage needing so many places in my heart needed conversion and still need conversion. And Wendy, you are my number one intercessor, and you have learned through trials, through pain, through things you've suffered because of my brokenness, you've learned how to open that pain in intercession for me, and I have been the direct beneficiary of those graces that have come through your prayer, and they truly are healing graces. Uh, Does this mean I am healed? No, it means I am on the journey and there's more to come, but grace is real, and it's effective, and it's it has worked miracles, and it will continue to do so. What are your thoughts here, Wendy? I also think, yes, uh, for Nikki, in a particular way in that she's not married yet, I feel like there's maybe some things that she's seeing as she's preparing for marriage, and I don't know in what stage of preparation you are, Nikki, but... I think you are being given a gift of 
of seeing something in this man that um, it, it is, as Christopher said, he is in need of conversion. And you could look certainly at the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is talking about adultery in the heart. Um, and it can be easy to think with so many people looking at porn to think, well, it's not porn, so that means it's not bad. But I am alarmed a little bit by the comments that like he he gets aroused and he's glued to his phone and you're left feeling terrible while he's busily enjoying looking at lots yeah, of different is, women. This is troubling. That is troubling. And and I think it it's good you're not married yet and you don't want to go into marriage without at least a sense of what God has intended for man and woman and what you're striving for together in your relationship. And it, the, the sense I'm getting from the way this is described is maybe that he's not seeing anything wrong with this. So I'm thinking of like Christopher's book, Fill These Hearts, as something that could be a good starting place for your fiancé to, to read that or to come to a Made for More event. Our patrons have access to a, a recorded Made for More event. Um, so maybe you want to join the Theology of the Body Institute patron community in order to um, watch that together. I do feel like there needs to be a starting point of really acknowledging that our relationships are affected by sin and in need of Christ, and and that he needs to have an, a desire for that real beautiful um, self-donation kind of love that is not what these images are kind of leading him to. Yeah, I, I would also recommend uh, the retreat that we published called God is Beauty. Carol Wojtyla, before he became Pope John Paul II, gave a retreat called God is Beauty. And in there he says, when we are looking for idealized images of, of beautiful bodies, what we're really looking for, whether we know it or not, is the mystery of the Incarnation, where perfect beauty was manifested in the human body. Uh, when Mary said yes and Christ was conceived, both in her body and in Christ's body, we have the perfection of human beauty. Uh, we have the perfection and, and manifestation in Christ's body of divine beauty. It's a, it's a tremendous insight. What your fiancé is really looking for in these idealized images of beauty, he's looking for the mystery of the Incarnation. He's looking for the Mother of God. He's looking for the mystery within her, which is Christ. This has been so healing for me to, to come to an understanding of the beauty I am looking for in the beauty of woman is Christ. Because this is just basic bedrock biblical principle. God comes to us. Ultimate beauty. That's who God is. God is beauty, right? Ultimate beauty comes to us through the mystery of woman. That's what he's looking for. 
whether he knows it or not, or can articulate it or not, doesn't matter. That's what the human heart is aching for. That's the truth that is underlying, uh, that has gotten twisted up in his distorted behavior. But here's the good news of redemption. Everything that's gotten twisted up can be untwisted up, and that's the good news of redemption. But the journey of untwisting what sin has twisted up takes us through the cross. Anytime a fulfillment of that deep longing of the heart is held out to us without the cross, it's a deception. It comes from the enemy. Uh, what did Jesus say to Peter when Peter said, that'll never happen to you, you don't have to be crucified, get behind me, Satan. We long for a beauty, but the only way we can have true access to that true beauty for which we long is through the crucifixion. And so your fiancé, again, is in need of that conversion that comes by way of the cross. I would, I would, I, I hesitate to say it, but I think I'm going to say it anyway. I would not marry this man if he does not show a willingness for conversion. Yeah, that's the thing I was sensing too. If if he does not if he does not show a willingness for conversion, he is not a man ready to marry. Because marriage, marital love requires mm -hmm. that willingness. And if he's not willing, he's not ready for marriage. Uh, that does not mean get your act together and then I'll marry you. He he this is a wound in his life. He's going to struggle. But at a bare minimum, he has, to, he has to express manifestly that he desires conversion, that he is going to commit himself to experiencing this, con this kind of conversion, which will be ongoing. I think, Wendy, you and I were, were disillusioned in our early marriage when we, we realized that our brokenness that we thought we had looked at and we thought we had experienced healing from was coming back, um, particularly brokenness that I brought into our relationship. We did have some beautiful healings in our time of dating, in our time of engagement, but we kind of we kind of thought, oh, good, now we're healed. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was rather shocking to us both when into married life, uh, we realized, wow, we got a lot more to look at here. And that's, as my spiritual director says, you have to make peace with the journey. In this life, there's no arrival point. There are always, always in this life, deeper places to go, deeper places to be healed, deeper places to experience conversion. And, and both spouses have to be committed to that. And if they are not, I cannot recommend that you marry. So let's pray. Can we pray for, sure. for Nikki and her yeah. fiancé right That's now? That's a great idea. Yeah. Come Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Uh, Spirit that has the power to penetrate the heart, to know the movements of the human heart. We ask for your presence in Nikki's mind and heart, in her fiance's mind and heart, uh, and in their bodies, uh, all their whole persons, that they would be drawn to the truth for which you've made them, that the evil one would not have power over them, that they would open to the power of redemption in each of their lives and in their relationship and pray especially for 
freedom in their sexuality, Lord, that they would experience your graces to grow and mature and um, just become the light you created them to be in this world. Please, Lord, give them courage, give them humility, give them the gift of surrendering to your spirit, Lord, we mm. pray. Uh, Nikki, I'll just share an image I had as Wendy was praying there. I, I saw your fiance in Mary's womb. And Mary's womb, as many saints have said, is a fiery furnace because the very love of God blazes there. And I saw your fiance um, not enjoying that fire. It was not a fun thing. It was a painful thing. And I, I just invite you to pray that he would have the grace to say yes to the purifying fire in Mary's womb. That purification will take him in the direction of what he truly longs for. And Mary, Mary is the beautiful woman that he truly desires. And you, Nikki, you are a reflection of that beauty. I ask that the Blessed Mother would show you, Nikki, how to be more and more the woman you are called to be. And I ask the Blessed Mother to show Nikki's fiance that she, Mary, holds the key that will heal that misdirected desire towards woman. And that, Mary, I ask that you would intercede for Nikki's fiance, that he would see Nikki as a true reflection of that Marian beauty. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Our next question is from an anonymous listener. Is it possible for sexual arousal to be born out of love and deep desire for spiritual communion? Or is it only possible in the ways that the secular world describes it? If it is possible, how can I train myself to change my mind from responding to seduction to being a man able to love and give myself to my wife? Bless you, brother. The answer to your question, is it possible to experience sexual arousal as the desire to love rightly? The answer to that question, yes, 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 a resounding yes with an alleluia in praise to God <laughs> for the gift of the redemption of our bodies. The real question you are asking is this, is redemption real? Can it have a real application in my life, in my marriage, in my marriage bed, in my body? And the answer is yes, yes, a resounding yes, glory be to God. How, how, how does it happen? Brother, you must take up your cross and follow him. What does that mean? Take up your cross. In order to live, and this is what the invitation is, to live is to love rightly. To love rightly is to live rightly. And the only way to love rightly and live rightly, the old man must die. We must enter into, we must, this is the language of St. John Paul II, we must appropriate and assimilate the full power of the incarnation and redemption in order to discover who we really are in order to learn how to love as we're really called to love. And it's not a once and done thing. It's not a, oh, I had my conversion, now, I'm, now I know how to love. 
It is an everyday reality. Take up your cross daily, Christ says. We are in need of conversion every day. Every day, a new yes to the Paschal mystery of dying and rising. St. Paul puts it this way. He says, we carry in our bodies the death of the Lord. Why? Here's the good part. So that the life of the Lord might also be manifested in our bodies. All right, here's my practical recommendation for you, my dear brother. The next time you experience that arousal in a lustful way, as the secular world invites, as you yourself mentioned. Here's my suggestion, very practical. You put yourself in the shape of a cross, bodily. If you're on your bed, you put yourself in the shape of the cross on your bed. If you're at work, uh, I don't know, go into the men's room and close the door and put yourself in the shape of a cross. Go somewhere, do whatever you need to do, go into a closet, I don't care where you are, do whatever you have to do to put your body in the shape of a cross. Like arms extended like long, out. arms extended, right, cruciform. And in that cruciform place of being, of, of your body, and the, in that place of arousal, offer that arousal to Christ, praying something like this. Put it in your own words, whatever works for you, but this is what has worked for me. Jesus. I thank you and I praise you for the gift of my sexual desires. But I recognize something is twisted up in me. The way I am experiencing sexual desire is as a desire to use someone else for my own selfish pleasure. This sexual desire in me has become inverted and twisted up in a selfish way. Lord, I give this twisted, lustful desire to you. I give it to you. And I ask you, please, by the power of your death and resurrection, to untwist in me what sin has twisted up, so that I might come to experience sexual desire as you created it to be, as the power to love freely, totally, faithfully, fruitfully, in your image, in your likeness, Lord. This is my prayer. That that. Again, those are my words. That's the manner of prayer that I have taken up in my life. It's been part of my life for 32 years, since mm -hmm. I was 20 years old. This has been part of my life. When I first realized how desperately in need of conversion I was, and I took the journey seriously, I've been on the journey ever since, and there's no arrival point. You can't say, I've arrived now. There's always more conversion needed. So take that up every day, my brother. And if you do, you will make progress. You will experience new freedoms. You will experience a, a, a new, uh, I was going to say flavor, but um, maybe that's not the right word. You will experience a new sentiment of your sexual desires. It will become more and more a desire to be a gift, and you will have a, a distaste for for lustful flavors. I mean, the, the, the flavor of lust becomes sour. It becomes distasteful. It's like uh, when, you, when you train your palate to, to appreciate fine wine, and then you drink a cheap wine, it tastes like vinegar. 
right? It, you have to train your palate to be sensitive. You have to train palate being an, an analogy here for your, your sexual appetite, your sexual desires. You have to train your sexual palate for the fine wine of Cana, the new wine that Christ came to give. What does Christ say? He says, those drunk on old wine do not desire the new wine. Right? Why? Because the old wine is good enough. And in the conversion of your heart from the old wine to the new wine of Cana, right? what is that new wine of Cana a symbol of? It's a symbol of agape, divine love, being poured into erotic love, right? We've all run out of wine, right? Eros has been cut off from agape. When Eros is cut off from agape, erotic desire is self-seeking. When Eros is open to agape, and Eros allows that new wine of agape to come into the Eros, Right? You, you gain a new sensitivity to the refinement of sexual desire and passion to be the passion and desire to be a gift to the other, to affirm the other, and to receive that affirmation from the other, not in a lustful, selfish way, but in a holy, sacred way. This conversion is real, uh, but the conversion demands a letting go of that old wine. Right? There are habits we've built up in our lives of, of taking our, our thirst to the old wine, and our, our then desire for authentic love kind of becomes dulled by the old wine. That's what Jesus means. If you're drunk on the old wine, you're not going to desire the new. And in that conversion from the old to the new, we have to let go of the old, and that's, that's probably the most painful part because we think I'm falling into a void. What do I do with these desires? If I'm not going to satiate it with this old wine, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And it's in this moment of the Passover that the voices of the enemy become particularly convincing and alluring. And the voices go something like this. Jesus loves you. He couldn't possibly want you to suffer this much. <laughs> you come down off that cross. That's when we have to say, get behind me, Satan. Mm -hmm. And we have to stay on that cross, even though we're feeling the nails, we're feeling the crown of thorns, the lance is going to be thrust into our heart. We're going to die. It ain't fun. It ain't pretty. Stay right there. Why? Carry the death of the, of the Lord in your body so that the life of the Lord might also be manifested in your body. You will pass over from that thirst for the old wine. You'll learn how to say no. You'll learn how to plant your flag in an act of will, aided by grace, to say no to the old wine. You're going to start feeling the thirst, and you're going to be tempted to go back to the old wine. That's when you have to stay in faith and say, Jesus, I treasure your promises in my heart, lest I sin against you. I'm staying in this ache, and I'm going to trust that this new wine is coming my way. I'm going to trust that the new wine is what I really want. I'm going to trust that this new wine is really going to take me where I really want to go. That's the journey. The best I can put in words in five minutes on a mm -hmm. podcast, mm. that's the journey, my brother. Mm. That's true. That's so true. You know, those images that um, are 
he used the word seduction. Yes. It's a a good word, actually, because it's that it's full of um, trickery. Yes. Basically, what it's trying to trick us into is somehow divorcing the fullness of our humanity and the truth we're meant to communicate with our bodies as if we could separate from that and experience some pleasure apart from that that was going to be just a positive in our lives that's just such a lie you know it's not going to be that because we we can't be separated from our whole person that truly needs to be loved and this this seduction is just trying to trick us into thinking something false i don't have to love her i don't have to know about her bad breath or bad habits or or anything about her. I can just use her. She doesn't need to know about me and who I really am. She can just use me and we'll go on. That's a lie. It's a lie. Utter lie. And it also, just as you're talking about training yourself for the the beautiful new wine, engaging in what the world is holding out trains us away from that yes, so that that's right. we will feel incapable yep. of that which we're made for. By grace, we can accomplish, but but that whole I, I'm I'm struck by just the word seduction and the and the the lies that it contains and the need to recognize them over and over again, over and over again until we we just desire the truth. We ha- that's you put your finger right on it. The desire for the truth must become more powerful in your heart than the desire that's seducing you away into the lies. And the truth is is so beautiful. The truth is so glorious. If it's not, then it's not really the truth. It is true that the truth takes us by way of what you could call the ugliness of the cross. But even the ugliness of the cross is beautiful because it's the truth of love. And the truth of love is beautiful. The sacrifice itself is beautiful. But there is, to get there, it will take you through a bloody hell. <laughs> right? Christ not only died on the cross, he descended to hell. Why did he do all this? To open the way to glory. For the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. For the joy. So, brothers, set your sights on the yes. joy that awaits you, and that will be the motivation to endure the passion, the cross, the descent into hell, and through that, the ascent into glory. This is the Christian life. There's no other way to the joy we desire. And so long as our eyes are on the prize, we can endure the pain of the cross that that it that is required to get there. That's how glorious the glory is. St. Paul says, I consider the sufferings as nothing compared to the glory. Nothing compared to the glory. How glorious is this glory that all human sufferings are as nothing compared to that glory. Brother, it is worth it. Keep, keep going. Amen. Thanks, all of you, for listening to this episode. If it blessed you and you know someone else who would be blessed by it, please share it. If you have a question you'd like to share with us, we are always in need of questions for our podcast, so you can go to uh, Ask Christopher West podcast website to submit a question for us. Or if you're a patron, make sure you go to the patron website right. and you'll get 
a higher chance that your question will be answered. Exactly so. That's a little favor to our patrons who mm -hmm. support us. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, patrons, for supporting our work. And all of you, please remember that you are an indispensable, unrepeatable gift. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, the list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. Thank you.